I can't believe that I've been like interacting with you as long as I have, and I can't properly pronounce your name, but in oh. my defense, neither can Google. <laughs> yes. Well, and, and neither can a lot of people. So the easiest way to say it is Durgadas, Alon, Doriel. Durgadas, Alon, Doriel. Durgadas, Alon, Doriel. Doriel. Yeah. Perfect. Welcome to episode number 23 of the Joe DeVoe Show. I'm your host, Joanna DeVoe, but you can call me Joe, and I am here to uplift and support my fellow creatives, lovable weirdos, and makers of magic. And speaking of magic, Durgadas Alan Doriel is here today to chat about embracing your authentic self, using nonviolent language with each other, and harnessing the transformational power of compassionate self-talk to live a more peaceful, groovy existence. Groovy is my own word. I don't know if he would describe his work that way, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. <laughs> it's groovy, Durgatis, if you're listening. Durgatis is a professional therapist trained in cognitive behavioral therapy, a holistic health practitioner, a pagan spiritual seeker, and an author with a teaching style that combines all three. I don't usually rattle off the details of my guests' bios here, but in this particular case, I couldn't resist because I'm stoked about this specific combination of disciplines and how they intersect in his work, or at least in his latest work, which is a book called Worthy As You Are, Weed out unhealthy beliefs and nourish your authentic self. Shout out to my word of the year, which is worthy. Worthy is my word of the year. It's been an amazing teacher so far and the year's not over yet. I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I also really love the mission of his last book, which was called The Little Work, Magic to Transform Your Everyday Life. And I'll read you a little promotional blurb from that book because it very much resonates with my own approach to what I like to call witching on the go. It says, make your day-to-day -day life as fulfilling and rewarding as your magical practice by turning everything you do into an extension of that practice. Nothing is truly mundane in this world, but if you can't pay bills on time or weather difficult relationships, how can you achieve spiritual transformation? Packed with practical tools that help improve your willpower and focused intention, the little work teaches you how to build and sustain the magical life you desire. Yeah. I love that. So let's just hop right into the interview and hear what he has to say about all that. Hello, Durgadas. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I have a question right off the bat about whether or not you have ever been or currently are a goddess worshiper. Oh, for sure. Yes. Okay. So because I've really only interacted with you mainly on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And whenever I see your name, I see dear goddess. <laughs> <laughs> My brain just wants to do that, dear goddess. So I often yeah. read your tweets as dear goddess, blah, 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 blah. Ah, well, okay. So what I can say to that end too, is that the name Durga Das means servant of Durga, the goddess from Hinduism. Wow. So, 
So that's not, to- I mean, that's not far off in some respects. That's yeah. really beautiful. Is that a goddess that you work with? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The name was given to me by a spiritual teacher, but yes, it is a goddess I, I revere. What does that energy feel like to you? Do you identify that this is an actual entity or is it an energetic? Yeah, well, okay. So Durga is one of the manifestations of the divine mother in her fierce aspect, but there's also an association with Durga of like the great mother and the the mother of all of creation is, is tied up with that. And so there's a concept in Hinduism called the Mahashakti or the Parashakti, which is the great energy of existence, which mm. is conceptualized in many traditions as being associated with the divine mother. Yeah. And so I, I see it that way. Do you know what drew you to goddess energy? Because I know you're, you identify as a pagan. Did that yeah. just sort of like come with that? Or did you actually feel attracted to call yeah. to a goddess? So I actually know the answer to this. And when I was in elementary school and I was watching the Smurfs and Captain Planet, I really resonated with the portrayals of mother nature and Gaia. And it just sort of blew me away that God could be conceptualized as goddess, Mm. right? I don't think anyone had ever said anything like that to me before. And so that was the first real taste. And I remember going outside into my backyard and being like, oh, Gaia's right here, you know, and, and just having those moments and then studying mythology in school. But that was really where that started for me. And the Divine Mother has actually been one of the threads that has been constant in my spiritual journeys over the years. That's so interesting because I know you probably like all of us, but you have shared that you had a really complex relationship with your mom, particularly when you Mm -hmm. were really young and in elementary school. So yeah, super interesting that you would gravitate toward. Well, I mean, I do remember from that time period feeling sort of like, well, maybe the mother that I don't feel like I'm getting in home at home is, is around me here. Mm. You know, I, I do remember like laying in the grass and thinking about that when I was a little kid. Yeah. That's really sweet actually. And deep and deep. I don't mean that in a condescending way. I think children are so wise. Mm -hmm. So I don't mean it's like cute because I think those moments can be really profound and stick with you for a lifetime. Yeah. Well, I mean, I remember it. Right. And that's gotta have been, oh goodness, you know, 35, 37 years ago. Mm. So. Oh, you're Gen X. What was that? Are you Gen X? I am an X ennial. What is that? So Xennial is a generation that is the border of Gen X and millennials. Oh, I so see. They, That's not an elder millennial. Well, who knows how true any of this is, <laughs> right? But I, I personally, as soon as I heard about Xennials, I thought, yes, because I was really into alternative music too when I was a little kid. And I think because of that, there's certain Gen X things that are just embedded in my psyche yeah. for that, for that reason. 
but yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little old in terms of a lot of the stereotypical things associated with millennials don't really apply to me, but I definitely like had internet in college. Okay. So, yeah. 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 I was like a full grown adult when I, I I'm still not interneting. Well, I have to say, <laughs> yeah, I tweet. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my happy place. That's where I actually got into what you do. And what was mm-hmm. so interesting when I was going through your new book, which we definitely have to talk about yeah, because my word of the year is worthy. The minute oh. I saw you say this book was coming out, I was like, oh, worthy as you are. I have to talk to him about that. Beautiful. Beautiful. And when I was going through it, I thought, oh, this is so interesting because on Twitter, you're very lighthearted and Mm. playful. Sometimes you can be very sarcastic, but never in a mean way, which I love. And you'll even talk about your sexuality in a very personal, but usually jokey way. And then your book actually is more stoic to me. It feels like it's in a different voice. Did it feel that way to you? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think for me, Twitter is very mercurial Mm. and it brings out, I have mercury in Gemini and it brings out that side of me that really likes to tell jokes. And then writing for me, like a book is more, I don't know. It's like a different, I guess it's a different side of me in a way, you know, but I, but what I would say though, is that I personally feel like my Twitter is mixed. I feel like, like half of my tweets are very similar to things that I say in the book Mm -hmm. and sim and similar in tone to that. But then like, there are also the ones like you're talking about where I'm literally just like making jokes or, being very lighthearted. And, and part of the reason why I do that, honestly, is because I'm both of those things. Yes. Yes. You know? And like, I think that it's, it's totally okay and great to be all of the different things that you are. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Like to me, Twitter is like hanging out with a bunch of people at a bar. Mm. Whereas writing a book is like hanging out with a bunch of people at like a circle. You know what I mean? But I do think, I do think they're, they're mixed. I think some of my tweets are more in the same tone as the book. And then others are like, Hey, did you hear the one about the seal that walked into, you know what I mean? Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so there for it. I love that mix. It's very much my personal flavor. I guess that's Mm -hmm. why, can you be a fan of someone on Twitter? Is that a thing? (laughs) I don't know. I feel like I am. I was just like shocked when I saw you in a video for the first time. I was like, like, oh my gosh, she talks. (laughs) I do. It's true. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. Yes. You have so much going on and so much to offer. I'm not sure how you get it all done. I guess I'm so interested in the different components of -hmm. what you do. Like, how do you separate out or do you separate out your life as a therapist let's say from joking around on twitter are you ever like oh my god i hope my the the people that i see as a therapist don't find my twitter feed yeah well you know i mean i think that even though i do joke a lot on twitter and i do tell jokes that are like personal there's nothing that i say on twitter that i wouldn't feel comfortable discussing Mm -hmm. if somebody found it you know what I mean? There is that level of a boundary, you know, I mean, it wouldn't be a fun conversation, but I wouldn't feel like ashamed of it either, you know? And I, cause, cause 
One of the things that really is a thread through all of my work is about accepting the authentic self Mm -hmm. and embracing Mm -hmm. the authentic self, right? So part of my authentic self is I like telling jokes. And then another part of my authentic self is like, I also like holding really potent healing spaces for people that are not jokey, but -hmm. it's all in the same continuum. But yeah, like I'm very sex positive as a therapist, you know what I mean? Or Mm -hmm. just like embracing of humor. And so I think that that's not something that would be surprising. Yeah. Mirth yeah. and reverence. Right. Both. Yes. Yeah. Have yeah. you found that being a therapist, mm-hmm. you've worked, I think, as a social worker, you have a yeah. private practice as right. a certified holistic health practitioner, which I would love for you to unpack that. But my question yeah. is, do you find that that has refined your social approach just in life, not on Twitter, but just the way that you talk to people and the way oh, you for sure. express yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I think that as a therapist, I'm very aware of the potential emotional impacts of the things that I say. And I try to be mindful of that when I'm communicating with people. And I think about effective communication and what feels like it gets the point across in a healthy way. As an exennial, maybe I'm wondering if we felt this differently as a Gen Xer myself, like firmly Mm -hmm. in Gen X. I definitely felt a moment where there was a huge cultural shift and the entire language changed. Mm -hmm. And I am a Libra. I am the cliche of a Libra. So I'm always trying to not hurt anybody's feelings. It's right. a high priority for me. So it yeah. felt like a landmine. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I wasn't willing to go away. I was willing to embarrass myself or make mistakes and very right. quick, quick to apologize. But I, yeah. I did, I'm more comfortable now, but there was a long period of time where I was just like, oh my gosh, do we say this word anymore? I don't even know how to address people. It was just right. very, did you feel that? Yeah. I mean, I worked in an office in the Bay area for three years from 2008 to 2011. That was very steeped in Bay area, nonviolent communication. Mm. And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm an East coaster originally I'm from the DC area. And when I worked in that office, it definitely sanded down a lot of the rough edges, but also taught me like how to communicate in a nonviolent way and like what the benefits of that are. And by the time I left that job, it was something that I just found myself kind of naturally doing, but I definitely, yes, have noticed an uptick in that being more of a widespread cultural thing, Mm, you know, and, and there's, yeah, there's just things to keep up with related to that. And that definitely is more prevalent on social media than it was before with pros and cons, you know, but overall, like I'm, I want people to feel respected and comfortable. So, you know, but yeah, for sure. I've noticed that. What is nonviolent communication for people that don't have that terminology? So this was so long ago at this point, right? Like I left that job 11 years ago and I don't even remember the formal elements of it anymore, but basically it's language that really takes into account the emotional impact 
that what we say and share can have on other people and strives to communicate in a way that isn't harmful, yeah. you know? And one of the benefits of that, which is if you wanted to look at it and like, well, why would we do that aside from just not wanting to hurt other people's feelings, which is of course a great reason. Another reason is that you're more likely to be heard if someone isn't feeling hurt by what you said. Oh my gosh, right? this is so my thing. Yes, go on, please. I love well, this. Well, just a, a lot of what makes people not be heard is when the other person feels defensive, angry, hurt, et cetera, right? So if you really want someone to hear you, one of the best ways to increase the likelihood of that happening is to communicate in a way that doesn't provoke a strong, difficult emotion in them. I believe this is the secret to politics. Mm -hmm. I, I This is again, why I say I'm the cliche of a Libra. I'm right. so convinced mm -hmm. that we make matters worse by attacking each other and calling each other names and labeling each other because you'll never win someone over like that, right. ever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just on a psychological level, if you want somebody to agree with you, it makes sense to try to meet them where they are, which doesn't mean you have to acquiesce to where they are, but talk to them where they are and try to guide them in the direction of what you're talking about versus, you know, shame, anger, anger in a way that's violent, right? Just on a psychological level, I'm not telling anybody what to do. I mean, I understand the arguments for or against what I'm saying, mm -hmm. but um, nonviolent communication is about really trying to get your point across in a way minimizes harm to the other person and increases the likelihood of them really hearing you as far as I understand it. Again, it's been a long time. Yeah, I think this is something that witches understand mm -hmm. because we know the power of words. Some of us right. understand the power of words yeah. and that casting words in a way is like casting a spell and I noticed on somewhere, I actually don't know where, I wrote this down, a description that you made, I think you made it, of yourself in the final descriptor after a clinical social worker, certified holistic health practitioner, working in private practice, astrologer, yogi, the final one was magic worker. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, interesting. So he mm -hmm. does not identify as a witch. Is that true? Well, I actually do. But the reason why I use that word professionally um, and okay, as a Gen Xer and a Xennial, Xennial, um, here's something. When I say which, what I mean by that is very different from what I think a lot of people mean today. Mm -hmm. Because I was really involved coming up in the witchcraft world in the 90s yeah. and the early 2000s. And it has really, really, really changed since then. So I don't use that word in my bio lines. I will say pagan, but I don't, I don't usually say witch. And the reason is because I don't want people to get the wrong idea about what I'm doing mm -hmm. and what my work is about. Because for example, I think a lot, but, and that it's really that simple. I mean, it, it's just, it's more about, I have a lot of really good friends who are witchcraft authors and their work is really for the witchcraft audience of today. 
and I would say, I think that my work is accessible to the witchcraft audience today of today, but like, for example, I have never practiced traditional witchcraft. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I've read a couple books on it, but it was not popular when I was coming up. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I've gone in a lot of different directions over the many years since then, but traditional witchcraft has never been one of them. So I think that that's kind of what most people mean by witch today is that. And I don't want anybody to sort of get confused by that. So I just think that the easiest thing to do is to say magic worker, which incorporates lots of different things. Cause I'm also a ceremonial magic practitioner too. Yeah. You know, and I have a lot of influences from new thought. So I just feel like it's easier, especially because, you know, when you're talking about people on the internet and language, some people who are in the witchcraft community are really turned off by ceremonial magic or really turned off by new thought. And so I don't want to, I would rather not misrepresent what I'm doing and what I am and add anything that's confusing. But honestly, that's more of, but that's really what that's about. It's not how I personally think of myself, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it is how I personally think of myself because to me, a magic worker is someone who works magic. It could be a witch. It could be an occultist. It could be Neville Goddard. <laughs> it could be, who, I, <laughs> it could be who knows. Right. But yeah, yeah I, I do think, of, I do think of the new thought movement as a kind of Witchcraft, is that the right word? As a kind of magic working. Right. Well, that's what I mean. I think it's definitely magic, but whether or not that's witchcraft mm -hmm. very much depends on who you're talking to. And there are a lot of people who would say yes and a lot of people who would very aggressively say no. Oh, I've been known. I've been known a lot because when I really started <laughs> talking about being a witch, I was coming from a background of new thought movement, all that mm -hmm. old stuff. I just loved right. it. And yeah. also it worked for me. And right. I got to a point where I was like, this is magic. This is for right. sure magic. And, yeah. and then I got a lot of pushback for that. But, you know, you have the experience you have and the understanding you have, and you just kind of right. have to own it. Right. Well, and I think that this isn't something that I feel passionate enough about to try to take a stand on. Right. You know what I mean? Um, but, but it's, it's really as simple as what I was saying. It's like, you know, I'm good friends with people, like I was saying before, who are definitely witchcraft authors. And there's kind of like a, a lot of association about what that means. And, you know, it's just easier for me to keep it broad. I actually have a question about that. Yeah. I'm wondering if this is a false perception. It really seems that mm -hmm. you have a gang. Is that true? <laughs> Um, you, you just seem to have a gang of these guys, I think mostly gay men who are also authors writing about witchcraft and magic. And I'm like, I think there's a whole gang of these guys. I think. Well, one thing I am in a circle with Devin Hunter, Storm Fairy Wolf and Chaz Bogan. Yes. And the circle hasn't really met very much since the pandemic. But like, you know, Matt Oren is their husband now. So I'm assuming that if we ever reboot the circle, he would be in it too. And we're all friends and we all see each other. So it's more like we are all just friends. I mean, they're all in a relationship. They're all married. And then I'm friends with them. Mm -hmm. Basically, I met, oh God, I've known um, Storm and Chaz for at least 13 years. 
That's so great. Yeah. But, the, but we're all friends in real life. So like we do interact a lot on social media, but we also know each other. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're just all friends who happen to be in the same kind of a social media world in the same sort of publishing world. Honestly, part of the reason why I even felt comfortable with my first book approaching Llewellyn about it is because I had friends who were Llewellyn authors. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the expansiveness of that, not even reaching out to their same publisher, but just being like, oh, I could do this. It becomes more real when you're friends with someone who's doing, doing a thing. A hundred percent. Right. Yes. Which of course is also one of the, you know, when there are conversations about privilege and how privilege affects people and what they feel is possible for them. It's like the same, the similar situation to where if you grow up and all your friends, parents went to college and all your friends, older siblings went to college, it's easier to feel like, of course I could go to college versus if nobody that you see has done that it could feel much more challenging and be much more challenging in a lot of different ways. So yeah, similarly, I mean, I remember when I pitched my first book to Llewellyn, at that point, Chaz, Storm, and Devin were all Llewellyn authors. Uh, Chaz's book had just come out. And I do remember feeling like, oh, like this is something that could really happen. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel like this impossible dream. It feels actually really, really realistic. And yeah, that, that definitely makes it feel more doable. I really think that's an important thing to pull out for people listening mm-hmm. in that that is something that you can court, not not climbing up the ladder, but putting yourself in situations where there are people who are doing what you want to do and right. learning to speak that language and even yeah. just at your own level, if you're a complete beginner, like coming up with a group of people is so much fun and it's so expanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a step to take. If you're like, I want to manifest this thing. It's like, well, surround yourself with people right. who have or are in the process of doing Absolutely. that Absolutely. Very true. Yes. Mm-hmm. 100%, 100%. Could we maybe take a trip through time back to the 90s? Okay. I'm so curious about your 90s witchcraft experience. Was it very Wiccan? Was it inspired by the craft, the movie, which I know so many many witches that was a gateway drug for? Well, and speaking of the difference between an ex-annual and a millennial, right? I mean, we're really getting into this. I'm very passionate about this topic, but um, I I was just old enough to be in the group of the craft is a good movie, but it's not accurately depicting witchcraft mm-hmm, mm-hmm. versus some of my peers who are like five, six, seven years younger than I am, who are just like, oh, the craft. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> I like it. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy watching the craft. It's it's a fun movie. It's a powerful movie. Um, but that's where I fit in. I was in high school when it came out and I was just old enough to be like, OK, but who's this Menal person? And like, we don't worship this like God figure, you know what I mean? And to Mm -hmm. be like, I was just old enough to be frustrated by the amount that they got right contrasted with the big things they got wrong, you know, and maybe a little too young to understand, like, this is a Hollywood movie. They have to sell tickets. They're caring about production, you know, which I of course get now, but yeah. So I was, that's, that's where I was. But you started 
communing with the goddess when you were a child. So yeah. I think you in high school was very different than other people in high yeah, school. Yeah, and I I agree with you. I mean, I was I was definitely in a different position in that sense. Um, you'd although been, you'd been through a lot of shit. I feel like you probably had a different level of spiritual maturity by the time you were watching the craft. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I that's possible. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't start I mean, you were asking about Wicca and like, I think that I was the sort of very typical nineties version of very Wicca influenced witchcraft, but not quite identifying as Wiccan. Mm. You know what I mean? Which was so popular at that time to be like, well, I'm not Wiccan, but like 80% of my stuff is from Wicca books, you know? <laughs> um, and, uh, I, I don't know if that's because I wasn't a part of a coven or I just didn't like certain things in Cunningham. I mean, I really can't remember, but I was reading all of that stuff. I mean, I had all the classic books of that time, right? Cunningham, Buckland. Uh, I had Lori Cabot's book, I Starhawk. Still, I still love Lori. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've read The Spiral Dance, but I remember loving it back then. Oh, and then of course... I was a huge Miss of Avalon person. Oh, you were? Yeah, huge, <laughs> which, you know, but canceled, canceled, rightly so. Like I, I just, a horrifying story. But yeah, I mean, I think I've read the Miss of Avalon like 16 times. What is it? Why? What is it about it? What did it do for you? It was what I wanted. I think it was exactly what I wanted or very close to what I wanted spirituality and religion together to be. Mm. the training that she went through the island the, the goddess being a witch but also you know there was this special thing about the 90 about 90s paganism witchcraft world where there was this mainstream identity where people were witches who were also priests and priestesses and that was a very normal thing at that time in a way that I feel like it's not as normal now. I'm not saying nobody identifies that way, but that was like so widespread at that time. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was very much in the sort of Starhawk Mists of Avalon vein, because that's what Morgane, the main character was, right? She was a priestess witch, and it was all interwoven with the great goddess. And I just loved that, mm. you know, just I've really sang in my soul. I've seen you identify as gender non-conforming. So oh, yeah. is, mm -hmm. is that part of it? Were you like in high school being like, I'm a priestess? <laughs> you know, I think that one of the things about that time period is that there really wasn't language like there is today. Right. That's as expansive for gender identities. And I grew up with so much shaming around gender identity I'm so that, sorry about that. Thank you. Um, I don't even know what I was thinking about back then. I think back then I was probably still just trying to like survive basically. So I don't, I don't know that I took it that far, but I definitely wanted to be a priestess of Avalon for sure. <laughs> I mean, if I could, if I had a choice about time traveling to an alternate reality where I'm a priestess of Avalon, I would definitely have, have done that. Yeah. But have you worn crushed velvet is my big question. I used to have a crushed velvet cloak. Oh, fabulous. What color was it? It was um, silver. Well, oh, okay. Something different. That is very Miss of Avalon me to me. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. It definitely was. You don't have it anymore? 
No, because I was never really wearing it, Mm. you know, and then I think I sold it on the internet. (laughs) Do you have a lot of, how would I say this, spiritual material items? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, certainly more than the average person. I think compared to the average pagan, I'm probably somewhere in the middle. Do you have a favorite? Do I have a favorite? Now I'm looking around. (laughs) I love my miniature cauldron. That's like, I just use it all the time to burn things. (laughs) Well, I mean, do you know the millennial Gaia that uh, it's like a statue? Millennial Gaia. I think that's what it's called. I have like a medium sized millennial Gaia. And I, I have an idea that. of Gaia in my head. Is she naked and very curvy? Yeah. And she's pregnant with the earth. Okay. Yes, I do. I can and picture it. There are like, she's green and then her, her legs are ocean and um, there are animals in her hair. Yeah. Oh, this reminds me of your book. When you, oh, really? did, when you did the cover reveal for Worthy As You Are, which everybody listening right now is going to run out and buy because they're so impressed by what a sweet, amazing, thoughtful person you are. And they want to read this book. Thank when you. I saw the cover, well, first of all, the subtitle is Weed Out Unhealthy Beliefs and Nourish Your Authentic Self, but also Nature is reflected in the imagery and then in that subtitle as well. Right. Did you do that intentionally? Were you influenced by your pagan background? Yeah. Yeah, very much so. The original title of the book was actually The Inner Garden. Hmm. And that is how I think of the work on the mind and healing is very much being similar to gardening. And part of the reason for that is because I do have this whole pagan history of earth-oriented worship. And part of it also is because sometimes cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the modality that I was trained the most in and is very featured in this book, can seem kind of sterile and robotic and like it doesn't acknowledge the complexity of the human experience and human emotions and thinking. And so to me, gardening is more organic And it doesn't feel robotic. And it also acknowledges that like there's a process that we work with, but we don't necessarily totally control, right? We have some capacity to influence and nourish, but then also there's an area within it where we also have to like let go some and just be with the process. Yeah. So that's really what that was about. Definitely. And I I noticed, I want to say each section maybe each chapter it ends with weeding the garden and then planting new beliefs so you yeah, keep so, that, you keep that through line going yeah so the the second part of the book is looking at nine different areas of life where many of us have been told we are not worthy as we are and told a lot of other things about how we should be and then it was working on deconditioning and releasing the harmful beliefs that we've been exposed to and planting seeds of new thoughts in their place to try to reclaim that area of our lives and align it with our authenticity. Mm -hmm. So one of the other things that in addition to having some affirmations that I have offered in those sections, those parts of the book are also very interactive in the sense that there are exercises at the end of the chapters that are really about people figuring out, okay, what was I taught about this subject and what beliefs were given to me 
And what do I think it would be healthy for me to believe in addition to or instead of the suggestions that I make in the affirmative talks, which is what they're called. I really love that you embrace affirmations. I'm wondering Mm. about affirmative talks because for me, yeah, the thing that works even better than affirmations, something that has been extraordinarily healing for me is to embrace the hypnagogic and the hypnopompic state. And I just talk to myself. I just have a whole conversation and affirmations are amazing and helpful, but that was the thing that I could significantly see movements. Like I really was like, whoa. And now there's a voice in my head that was not there 10 years ago. Right. Sure. Loving voice. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I have had really positive experiences over the last, oh God, 18 years, listening to spiritual talks and healing talks and really benefiting from that. And what a lot of the healing talks are basically is just affirmations that are expanded upon, Mm. you know, and because I benefited from that so much, I also wanted to put that in the book. And actually the book originally started as a series of guided meditations. I was going to do guided meditations, like healing talks slash guided meditations on these nine areas of life. And then as I was working on them, I thought, you know, this actually should be a book that also is an audiobook, So you can listen to them, but also has this sort of other elements thrown in. But that was how it started. And it's because I, I too have really benefited from that, yeah. you know, listening to talks that deep dive into the subject, you yeah. know, and so that's what, that's what they are is, is that they're, they're composed of affirmations or they have affirmations in them, but there's a lot of other material too, mm-hmm. which is, which is all about helping to recognize where unhealthy beliefs may have come from and release them and replace them with new, healthier beliefs. I love the idea of weeding the garden. And I mm-hmm. think, I think the first step is just recognizing the weeds. Yes. Like, I just think the voice of our parents or our caretakers when we were right. children, Yeah, we don't even have the sense that it's not our own right. until we get really, really mindful yeah. and we start noticing. One of the best right. practices is just start listening to that voice right. and be like, is that me or who is that? You know? Right. Right. And that's if we even notice. Right. That's right. Exactly. Yes. Well, and one of the things that I feel very blessed about professionally is that cognitive behavioral therapy, which is what I do as my day job, has so much overlap with the self-helpy kind of stuff that I love specifically around this, Mm -hmm. because cognitive behavioral therapy is all about the way that you think and the way that you act affects how you feel and what you perceive. And so looking at the beliefs that you have, are they true? Are they not true? You know, sometimes you can ask, where did they come from? You know, what is the story of this thought? How does this thought affect you? And what might be healthier to think instead of this? That's a lot of what CBT is about. You know, so, so what I would say is that having practiced CBT, when I look at self-help material, What I often don't see enough of is really challenging the old beliefs in what I've seen. 
Maybe it's out there, but just from what I've seen. So there's some of it. I'm not saying there's none of it, but to actually sit there and write, this is what I think. This is where it came from. This is how it affects me. You know, I mean, I think there are some people who do that, but I haven't seen a lot of real deep dives into that. And then on the converse side, in the CBT world, there's so much challenging and questioning negative thoughts, but I don't think there's enough affirmation because I think that's really important too. What is a healthier thought for me to believe? Because without that piece, you can sort of, okay, well, I questioned all of these other thoughts, but now where do I stand? Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's where I think it's so powerful to be able to say something to ourselves that we really need to hear, like, it's okay to need help. You know, it's okay not to be perfect, but to actually say it, not take for granted that it's understood. You're articulating to me why I think you're such an asset to the Llewellyn catalog, to the witchy community and to the self-help community. Because for me, I started, I'm 48 now. I started when I was 17. Mm. Uh, with a lot of personal development, self-help, as much psychology as I could get my hands on, spirituality, but they were all like these different categories. And I'm really excited about what the internet has done and kind of bringing those conversations Mm -hmm. together. But then you have a really wonderful way of like synthesizing it all and making it so accessible. Thank you. Thank you. Well, and you know, part of where this came from And I think many of us do this to a certain extent is that I started filtering what I was reading through the lens of my experiences and what I had learned as a holistic health practitioner and a therapist. So there were, there might be a self-help author where I would read the book and be like, well, these five sentences are really great. This one's really problematic. Next five are really great. This one's really problematic. And I was getting into a position where there were some things that had really helped me in my life, but that I didn't feel like I could recommend because the stuff that was problematic was so problematic that unless I'm going to give all of these caveats, like I just can't do it. You know what I mean? I, I can't say. I, do, I know what you mean, but I try to do it. I'm like, I love this book. However, I know this is offensive. <laughs> right. Well, but that's that's the thing. It's like, you know, it's it's very hard to be like 80% of this is wonderful and yeah. 20% of it is so awful, you know? And so instead, I felt very moved to sort of take what I've learned and experience, what I've gleaned from other things and what I've learned as a therapist and holistic health practitioner and a spiritual seeker for many years and put out a version where somebody hopefully doesn't have to do that much of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because this is, this isn't, this is one thing that I'm very passionate about that is in this book. I get why people are very critical of new thought. And I agree with some of what those criticism with what some of those criticisms are, Definitely. particularly around things like illness and privilege, a hundred percent. And I think it was the new thought community though, that first was saying to me things like the divine loves you unconditionally, accepts you unconditionally. You know, you can experience that for yourself. You know, you, you are part of universal consciousness and you can really live in the knowing of that 
and the peace and healing of that. And to me, that was always so much more resonant of a message than you can manifest anything that you want. Not that there's anything wrong with manifesting, but like there was this whole deeper level. And I think that is so beautiful and that can be shared separate from the stuff that feels victim blamey or anti-science or privilege denying. Right. And so that's part of where I'm coming from with this too, is like, I want people to be able to hopefully experience some of the beautiful things that I have experienced without having to pick all this rough off of these diamonds. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I first was reading like books that were over a hundred years old at the time. Mm -hmm. And to me, from my perspective, I was a feminist. It was all offensive. (laughs) Right. Right. But I I was really interested in like the little nuggets of wisdom that I could Mm -hmm. find. So I would just kind of push through, but I did have the awareness. This was written a hundred years ago. Like don't don't take it personally. And a hundred years from now, they're going to rewrite us. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And we don't even know what they'll say. Right. Gosh, because that's go easy on us, please. (laughs) We're doing the best we can. Right. Well, you know, yeah, that's something that was very important to me with all of this. I'm sorry. There's a siren going on. I hear it. Yeah. I live in Los Angeles. So this is like bird song to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so, you know, um, for a lot of people, where do you go for self-help information? You know what I mean? Where do you turn? Like what's actually good and what is problematic and what's sort of in the middle. And, you know, so I just sort of have been touched by self-help and wanted to offer something to other people that maybe could help them the way that self-help materials have helped me. Mm. Cause that's another thing too, is that like a lot of people I know are like, does self-help actually do anything? Does anybody actually benefit from this stuff? And for me, the answer is yes, for sure. I 100% overall have benefited from self-help. That doesn't mean that it's all good, but like I definitely have benefited from it. So me yeah. too. Let me just say, absolutely. I realized I opened a loop. I did not close. And I know, okay. I know we're getting up on time here, but can you define holistic health practitioner? You are a certified holistic health yes. practitioner working in private practice. I don't even know well, how you do that and write books and tweet and Instagram and TikTok well, and do all the things. Okay. And let me clarify. I work in private practice as a psychotherapist. Okay. I am a certified holistic health practitioner. So a million years ago, I went to a school called Mueller College of Holistic Studies, which no longer exists. And A holistic health practitioner is a certification in California for somebody who is a massage therapist who's had a thousand hours of training. Mm. And so some of the training was in body work. I studied herbs. I studied nutrition. Oh my gosh. I studied all kinds of things. And it's long, so long ago and not what I do in my everyday life now that I mean, I don't remember a ton of it, but the holistic health model has stuck with me from that time. And informs my outlook. And where I would say that that shows up in the book is some of the stuff around self-care directly extends from studying holistic health, especially in terms of really leaning into our inner knowing about making healthy choices Mm -hmm. and even thinking about health and wellness 
and prioritizing wellness so much when we're thinking about our thoughts and our actions. I mean, I think I got that out of my holistic health program was to just have wellness beyond the mind in such a direct way and to recognize that the choices we make have an effect on our health and wellness. It's such a nice, solid foundation for a psychotherapist to have. And yes. now, especially because we're talking about Gabor Mate's work and the body keeps the score. Like this is mm-hmm. such a, it's been such yeah. a trending topic and it it's so right. nice to have that understanding yeah. to go mm-hmm. alongside all of these like heady ideas. Absolutely. And I would say part of the reason too, why I, one of the things I like about being an author is that I can, as an author, I can explore things that I can't always explore as a therapist. Mm. And and what I mean by that is, you know, the spiritual lens. I like that as an author, I can really go deep with the spiritual lens as far as I want to. Whereas as a psychotherapist, it all depends on what the client believes. You know, Mm. I'm not going to sit and talk to a client about divine love if they're an atheist, Right. you know? Again, with that nonviolent communication. (laughs) 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 Where can people find you? Especially, I like to ask for people that are on the go and they're not staring at a device right now. Like, what is the easiest way to find you online to kind of link up with all the things? I will link in the show notes, but just for people on the go. Sure. So I'm on Instagram at Durgadas Alon Doriel. I'm on Twitter at Durgadas A Doriel. And I'm on TikTok at Durgadas Alon Doriel. And those are the platforms where I post the most regularly. I also have a blog that people can sign up to. I'm going to be starting a newsletter soon. That's going to be after book promo is over, but that will be available. And yeah, those are the places. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Do you think you could leave us with maybe one tip for somebody who feels like I need help, help me, but I don't know where to start? Where could they begin besides obviously go get the book? Yeah. So one of the central points of all of my work is about compassionate thinking. And I do have some TikTok videos about that, but trying to speak to ourselves like we would a loved one trying to recognize when the standards and criticisms we're applying to ourselves are unfair and just trying to also, if we're spiritual, appreciate that we're divine beings who really are doing the best we can and cultivating those qualities within us over time. There's nothing I have seen really improve the quality of people's inner lives, like compassionate thinking. Mm -hmm. And that's why I wrote this book. That's really the lion's share of why. I love it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Durgadas. 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 I feel like I'm not quite getting the pronunciation correct every single time. Durgadas. Did you love this? If you love this, there will be links in the show notes to Durgadas in all the places, his new book, his previous book. And there's a link there too, by the way, I have to say to my voicemail, nobody has left me a voicemail in weeks. And I'm like, why? Why? I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. Ask me a question. 
leave me an interesting comment on a subject that was brought here on the podcast and I will play your voicemail and I will answer your voicemail if it includes a question. And then there's also a link to my Patreon. If you want to support the show, you can do that either at the $3 tier, which is a separate podcast called The Bebo Effect. Bebo, B-I-B-O, beauty in, beauty out. And then I also have a $33 tier called The Journey. And we are very slowly, one card, one month at a time, working our way through the tarot, the entire tarot. I'm creating a coloring page, a tarot card coloring page for each of the cards. And then there's a long form podcast for each of the cards. And then for every turn of the wheel, which is about every six weeks or so, we have a group mastermind, a creative mastermind where we talk about whatever tarot card has come up lately we talk about astrology sometimes we talk about what that season brings up for us and we just chit chat and have a good time it's usually a pretty small group of us that shows up on zoom to have those chats so it's awesome to get to know people behind the scenes and that is something that i just wanted to hang on to once i closed my coaching practice i did not want to lose touch with everybody so that's a fun way to do that We have a Discord community with a whole bunch of different channels. (laughs) Every time I'm excited about a subject, I add a channel. And it depends on the channel and it depends on the day. Sometimes it's like going off in Astro Nerds. Other times we're talking about money. It really just depends on what's happening, what's happening with us all. We kind of move around through the different channels. And if that sounds fun, definitely hop on over to Joanna DeVoe at Patreon. You can find a link in the show notes and I'm gonna have a new episode coming out here real soon because I want to get it up in time for Halloween so stay tuned for that and until we meet again always remember life is change change is magic magic is life and the journey is the creation much love to you peace